as always, it's so good to be with you. And how are we doing? Okay, good. Always enjoy listening to you and hear you say that. Hope you've had a good week. And uh, what a joy it is to always gather together to celebrate the Holy Mass. And what a beautiful time of the year, isn't it? This is sort of an amazing fall for Louisville, that's, that's for sure. Uh, that makes sort of a highlight kind of thing and pumpkins and gourds and, you know, all those kinds of things. But there's also something very important about October that has to do with the Catholic Church in the United States. And it's called Respect Life Month. You heard about that? Respect Life Month. And actually, this Sunday is called Respect Life Sunday. Now, why does, why does the church make such a big deal about life? Well, it does because it upholds the sanctity of life. Life is sacred. Life is what is the wonderful right that we have been given. See, here's the reality of our situation. You and I are people of life. And why are we people of life? Why are we so uh, for life? Because that's what God is. God is a God of life, isn't he? And uh, we follow in his footsteps. And we see it, see it modeled in the life of Jesus and over and over again. So what I'd like to do this morning is take a few minutes to quickly review uh, what the church teaches, some bullet points regarding the sanctity of all human life and then offer you a few comments on this. There's a constitutional amendment coming up on November the 8th. It's called Amendment Number 2. Have you heard of it? It's a very important amendment. And uh, it has a whole lot to do with life. And it's going to be on the ballot October the 8th or November the 8th. And you need to be prepared to, to voice your opinion. But first, let's look at some of the teaching of the church on the sanctity of human life. The first thing, and, all, and the fundamental thing, actually, it has to be the first, is that the gift of life is a fundamental right. It is a fundamental right. The church teaches us this, that life is the first good received from God, and it is fundamental to all, to life in all matters. Now, what are, what are they saying? Well, they're saying this. If you don't have life, nothing else matters. If you don't have life, you don't exist, right? So life has to come first. That has to be first. And when life comes first, then these other things can follow. Second thing is that humans are made in the image and likeness of God. I really like this. Uh, I love to read Genesis, I, those first few chapters of Genesis. They're so life-affirming. They're so positive about who we are because it says that God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, does that mean we look like God? No, we don't look like God. Uh, but uh, what it means is we resemble him in his characteristics of who he is. And, and there's, a, there's a very important reason for that. So what do we hear in the scriptures? So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. That's special. I mean, that makes you special because God's the creator of everything. And there's no other creature on earth 
that can claim what that has, this claim that we have, that they were made in the image and likeness of God. Even the angels, you know, even the angels, only human beings. And why is that? Why did God do that? Uh, boy, that's, that's one you could study for eternity. Why did God do it? Because he loves you. Because he affirms life. Because he wants to have a friendship with you. That's why. That's exactly why. Third thing is that life begins at the moment of conception. In our teaching, in our belief, it's followed through by the Holy Scripture. We have a body and a soul. You're made up of a body and you're made up of a soul. And uh, there's a, there's a they, they like to call it a cooperative agreement, cooperative arrangement, in the sense that husband and wife create a body, and then God creates the soul. And God, at the moment of conception, God breathes the soul into the life of the body. Isn't that beautiful, uh, that, co that cooperation kind of sense about life and how it begins? And body and soul are joined together. There is a short period of time of separation at physical death, but then we're reunited and we go to be with the Lord forever, connected together. So that's pretty substantial, isn't it? I like what the, how the church puts it. Listen to this. Human life must be respected and protected absolutely from the moment of conception because that's when this takes place. And so from the first moment of existence, a human being must be recognized as having the rights of a person. And that's, that's one of the primary reasons of the church, why they take such a, a, a strong stance on the sanctity of life. But there's a couple more. One is that out of love, God commands us not to kill. If you look in the fifth commandment, you know, God pinned these things. Can you imagine God pinning the tablets, the stone tablets? Commandment number five, you shall not kill. You shall not kill. That's why Catholics are uh, very uh, adamant about life from conception to the last breath. Um, that's why Catholics are against war because it takes life. That's why Catholics are against the death penalty, because it takes life. Well, what's the problem? What's the issue? You don't have the right to do that. See, God gives it. God gives the right. God is the owner. It's sort of like a car. You ever buy, bought, can you imagine buying a car? You can do with that car whatever you want. What if you take that car and you run it off a cliff? Well, you can do that, can't you? Why? Because you own it. It's the same thing with this. We don't own. God is the creator of life. And as such, he alone has the capability or the, the responsibility to destroy life. Now, fortunately for God, God is a God of life. He, he doesn't want to kill people and zap people. He's, he's not into that. Uh, but it does teach the, us the responsibility that the Lord has in the sense that it's his right. Not our right. The fifth thing is that Jesus gave preferential treatment to children. Um, Jesus was always giving preferential treatment. This is one of the things that attracted me to the Catholic Church, is this preferential treatment. Well, who does Jesus give preferential treatment to? 
Well, that's no-brainer. That'd be the rich, the powerful, you know, the successful, the pros. No, that's not what he said, was it? What he said? He said, we give it to those who are most vulnerable. And then Jesus, who he modeled that. Who did, who did he give preferential treatment to? The poor, the elderly, the sick, the disabled, and children, didn't he? He, always, he, he, he had a couple of tough run-ins with, uh, with the disciples on children. Uh, you know, he was busy. He was a busy guy. There's no doubt about that. But the children wanted to be with Jesus. I would too. I mean, I want to be wherever Jesus is. And they'd come to Jesus, and the apostles would say, leave Jesus alone. You're not that important. Leave him alone. And what would Jesus do? What did he do? Well, look in the scriptures. What did he do? That's right. He, uh, he says, get your act together, apostles. Let the children come to me. And he would take them, it says, in his arms. I'm sure he gave them a big kiss and a big hug. Why? Because God loves them. God loves children. And so that raises a very important question as we think about preferential treatment and love. Can you think of anyone more vulnerable than a child in the womb? I can't. Because you're totally at the mercy of those around you. I think the final thing that really sort of brings all this together for me, it's, it's all of this plus more. You know, it's what God says about himself, how he's revealed himself. Same thing with Jesus. What, what did Jesus model? But this sort of does it for me. See if it does it for you. If you were to walk up to Jesus today and you were to say to Jesus, Jesus, would you tell me what you think? What do you think about the fact that in 2020 in the United States there were 930,000 abortions? What do you think he'd say? Knowing Jesus. Well, I thought about it. I don't think he'd say anything. And you know why? Because he'd be sobbing. He'd be sobbing. He'd be crying. How? You know, God is a God of life. What did he say? I came that you might have life and have it abundant. I think he'd be sobbing. Well, when you look at problems of this magnitude, sometimes we feel like that we're helpless. We, can, we don't really can make a, an impact on such a, a very important issue uh, to us. But you've been given a privilege now. This is a privilege that uh, hasn't been around, we've not had for 50, 60 years, as a matter of fact. And you have that privilege, and you have the opportunity on November the 8th to vote on a ballot. And that ballot is about a constitutional amendment to protecting the rights of the unborn. Now, just a couple of statements on this. This is an opportunity that you have to make your voice heard. And it comes out of a recent Supreme Court decision on, it's called the Dobbs versus the Jackson Women's Health Organization case. And here's the determination that the Supreme Court made. You can go read the, the brief on it, but here it is in a, a sentence. They said that the permissibility of abortion and the limitations upon it are to be resolved 
like most important questions in our democracy. And how do you do that? By the citizens trying to persuade one another and then voting. That was the opinion. And so uh, this opinion, now it moved out of the federal into the state courts, into the, into the, uh, the state. And so what the state has done, a lot of the states have done, uh, on the November the 8th ballot is a constitutional amendment, in this case, to the, to the state of Kentucky, the great state of Kentucky. And here is the amendment. So when you go to vote, you'll see it. Are you in favor of amending the Constitution of Kentucky by creating a new section of the Constitution to be numbered Section 26A to state as follows? That's a lot of, a lot of jargon, isn't it? But here's the bottom line. To protect human life, nothing in this Constitution shall be construed to secure or protect a right to abortion or require the funding of abortion. That's what you're voting on. See, what happened is the Supreme Court's saying, this, doesn't, this decision doesn't belong in the, in the hands of a state judge. It belongs in the hands of the people. You, the people, are going to decide what we're going to do. You're going to decide on November the 8th what Kentucky as a state is going to do. And so that's a pretty big responsibility. And you need to, you need to vote about that. Now, sometimes these uh, types of amendments are confusing. They're hard to totally understand. And when, when that's the case, because I'm not a lawyer, and all the, all the legal jargon, I like to go to authorities to see what they have to say about it. Have you ever heard of the Catholic Conference of Kentucky? Well, our, the Catholic Conference of Kentucky is, is comprised of the four dioceses of Kentucky, that being Louisville, Covington, Lexington, and Owensboro. And they form a, they form a sort of a, a, a group, a, a solidarity kind of thing. They have met, the bishops have met, and the bishops, and you can go to their website and see it, wholeheartedly affirm, they wholeheartedly endorse amendment number two, meaning that when you vote, you vote yes. That's their recommendation. But of course, you've got to study it, and you've got to make your own decision, of course. But do it. You've been given an opportunity that hasn't been your in, for a lot of us in our whole lifetime. You've got a great way of making a voice. Now, what can you do? Well, of course, vote. You know, that's the main thing. Another one is be informed. Another one is to talk to others about it. Isn't that what the Supreme Court said? Persuade one another. Talk about it and, uh, and, and, learn, and work on it. You've been given a great, great opportunity, church. Let your voices be heard. God bless all of you.